All right, everybody, welcome back to the Female Footballers Podcast. My name is Cassie Gray, and I'm your host, and I am very, very excited today to introduce to you not only an amazing collegiate coach, youth coach, um, but kind of my mentor and a big reason why I started Female Footballers. I'm going to get cheesy on you, JT, but this is Jennifer Thomas or JT Thomas. Welcome. Um, go ahead. Well, uh, I just have to start by saying, I'm pushing it right back at you, Cassie, that I am just so proud that you and so many of your group in the era that I coached you guys at Cal are, are in our giving back to the game and to women and to all of it. And it's just like, makes me kind of gushy and proud and like a grandma almost about you guys are all painted forward. And I feel like what I did to you, you guys are doing to everyone else. And it's just a fantastic time for, um, for women in football. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and so for those people listening that don't know, so JT was my college coach um, and a huge reason why I would say my life changed for the better in soccer up until Cal, I'd had all male coaches with the exception of a tiny bit of Randy Chastain and ODP, but we're not going to count that. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, I go to Cal and I am inundated with a lot of female representation that I'd never seen before. On top of that, it was the first time I had a coach that met me where I was and didn't expect me to become uh, what they what they wanted of me. And then that's more so also in the mental capacity rather than just the technical, tactical, physical. I think a lot of coaches, you know, you can have a level of, you know, you need to be like this, this, and this for technical, tactical, physical, but um, you really paid attention to the mental side and I'd never had that before. And so a big reason why we started this organization is everything that you did for our group at Cal, not only from the team builders and the mental side, but the camaraderie and the group that a lot of people don't know, you started an amazing alumni organization at Cal and we all have benefited from it. Um, I feel like we are now trying to implement some of that into just the world <laughs> of youth of the female soccer. So um, I know that was gushy, but I was just like, I hope people realize that a big reason why we do what we do is because of you. So. Well, I appreciate that, but it's all you guys right now. You have, uh, we have passed the torch and you guys are running with it. So, and it's the time. I mean, just look at the leagues in Europe and, and everything that's happened for women in football. We just got to catch up on some of the little things, I think. Totally. I apologize if you can hear my dog in the background, by the way, she <laughs> keeps shaking. I'm like, God. anyways, oh, well. Um, so, so for the people that don't know you, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners do, because we have a lot of Cal women's soccer alumni on our, uh, in our organization, um, but there, for the people that don't, can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up, where you played youth, and then how you got to Cal and some of that playing? Okay, well, first off, I'm 57 years old, so I grew up, <laughs> I'm, all, I'm pretty much all Bay Area. I grew up on the peninsula. Um, all my coaches growing up were parents, many of whom did not play the sport at all, which is very common back in the day. Um, so I played on the peninsula in a little league. I was on one of the first, um, ODP state teams in Northern California. So I was actually on the first team and, um, the regional team that I made, I don't even know how I made it. It was kind of crazy, but it was a paper team. So there was just a list and, you know, that was it. You played a, two tournaments and that was done and you were, it was over. And that was the first time there was ODP, which is now kind of almost the thing of the past. It's not as strong anymore, but it was a, a huge way that we recruited um, for college soccer back in the 2000s. So um, I played on the peninsula. I got myself into Cal. 
I wrote the coach and asked if I could come try out. I did. I made it. I actually sent a letter to the athletic director and my mom kept it for me. Thank her. That said, hi, I'm JT and I play tennis, basketball and softball in high school and soccer for club. And I want to play sports at Cal. And the AD wrote me back a handwritten you know, letter saying, which sport? <laughs> oh, my God, that's so cool. I love it. Yeah, and and uh, it's, it was Dr. Luella Lilly, who I have to give huge shout outs to. She's still around, definitely around Cal Athletics. Um, and she was the, 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 the female, you know, there was a women's athletic department. She was the, the head AD there. And so, yeah, I tried out for the team and made it. And there were no scholarships at the time and played my four years, had the best four years of my freaking life. As I tell everybody, because I'm a college counselor now, I will never put four years together like that again, consecutively, ever. I never expect to. And God, at this point, I hope I don't ever do that again because it was <laughs> the most fun and exciting. But yeah, so after playing at Cal, um, you know, I uh, I went off and did my master's degree in education from a school that we do not talk about closer to your area <laughs> on the farm. And, uh, and then I went off and I'm actually an educator by trade. So teacher, coach, athletic director at a many high schools, uh, one in Hawaii, one in Tahoe, back here in Berkeley, um, coaching all along, starting my own soccer camps up in Tahoe, you know, always kind of keeping my foot in the game. Um, and then, uh, you know, I went up and got the Cal job and it was just random. A friend of mine, another former alum, Catherine Gustafson had had the assistant coaching job at Cal prior to me and she had to leave. And she's like, come down here and take this job. And the, the most interesting part of that whole coming back to Cal in the 2000s was my interview with Chris Dawson, who was a, an athletic director of, on the women's side when I was a player, knew kind of the shenanigans that uh, the women's soccer team did in the 80s. And so she interviewed me and I was in a full suit showing I was like a new person and an adult and all of that. And she's like, JT, what would you do with a player like yourself? And I was like, oh, good oh, question. <laughs> great question. I'd probably hit her over the head with a two by four. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but the interesting point was she took me up to Memorial Stadium, the, the football stadium, and I had never stepped foot inside the offices, the weight room or anything in there because the, the two departments were so separate back in the day that it was just like one of those holy shit experiences. Like this is what they got. And I never even knew it. And I was, I was pissed walking through that, but grateful to be in there again and really psyched to see the women's team lifting weights that day and, in, 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 you know, next to the football players. And I'm like, the game has changed. It's just changed. Like women's athletics, women's sports, it has changed since I've been gone. So, um, so cool. it was really cool. And then after that, I, you know, I eventually went into labor, double overtime win against USC, as you well know, had my child, you know, right after on the, the field, basically. <laughs> basically on the field, didn't know I was in labor and, and it was time to kind of focus on him and uh, it was getting hard. You know, there's a bit of a glass ceiling on the, you know, being a female coach in the college game. So uh, it got hard traveling all that, you know, recruiting and traveling and recruiting and traveling over and over again with the child. So um, I retired from Cal soccer and I went on one day I was coaching 22 year old badass women. And the next literally Tuesday, I was coaching U6 boys. Oh my God. And I took the U6 boys all the way to U19 boys, or they're called men at that age group, but which I would challenge man boys by U19. 
And uh, now my son and a bunch of my players are, are playing at different colleges all over the country. And I have really tried to change my life and just be able to be available to watch and enjoy the game from, you know, spectators. I'm not that good in the stands yet, not saying stuff. I taped, I duct taped my fingers at the last game against UCSB. So I wouldn't yell because Wyatt was like, I can hear you. Oh my God. Well, and everyone needs to know he plays at Cal. Go Bears. Like that yes. is so cool. That is so awesome. Yeah, I had a lollipop at the last game, you know, where they just had a big win over UNLV. So I'm working on my non-coaching and being just a parent in the stands. It's, I think I have, I, I think I have three more years to get it right. So you're giving me an inkling as to why my dad was obsessed with sunflower seeds. Now I get it. Maybe you have to try those. They keep it busy. Yeah, something, <laughs> something. I've got to do something. I, I'm trying different games. I'll try the sunflower seeds next. So that's good. Oh my God, but that's yeah. so funny. What an interesting like pathway too, and how unique it is that you got to to coach from, like you said, six-year-old boys all the way to 22-year-old women. And so I have so many questions about all of that, just like the the pathway and, and who and the style and everything. So first- Oh, I just said, wait, I'm throwing one wrench in too. So I was going to retire from coaching so I could watch my kid and all my boys play. And during COVID, I got 05 girls. <sighs> And it was sophomore girls and it was awesome and terrible during COVID so hard to coach, but I went back to girls at the very end and it was just eye-opening again. So, so are you still with them right now? I'm not, I'm not their head coach, but I am their college counselor for the, uh, for the club. And so I get to go out and see them, but they were just fantastic. They got me through COVID totally got oh, me through so COVID. Cool. It oh, was, and so then cool. I was like, Oh, I remember why I love coaching girls so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that's my question is, is the different, well, one, I'm going to ask you about the difference between coaching boys and girls and then two, what you prefer. So let's start with the difference. Cause I, I think that there's in the world of soccer, there are kind of two mindsets when it comes to that. I think some people feel like there is zero difference in coaching boys and girls, and some really notice the differences. So I'm curious because you've had, you've coached at every level and you've coached at every age pretty much. So what, what are your thoughts? Well, first, I mean, my favorite coaching was you guys. Like, Aww, there's no question. You. Like, that was just a special time and a special time for women's soccer, a special time for Cal and, and you guys as you know, it's, it's so clear how you all are together that the things I care about in coaching happened. Right. So, um, God, they, you know, they're all athletes. They're all athletes. They all have goals and stresses and they're competitors and they have different things going on in their life. So there's this similarity that that ties them all together, which is why now as a college counselor, just for student athletes, I really enjoy working with athletes, regardless of gender, right? Mm -hmm. There, Because they have this motivation and this drive and this, I don't know, this kind of quirky fun to them that I really enjoy. So that said, like the, there's a ton of similarities on athletes. But as I was going through the process, like I was always drawn to coaching women because, and girls, because the culture piece is so important, right? That, I mean, and you and I are both obviously biased in this area completely. <laughs> we both think that this is the vital thing. I mean, so many girls play because of the socialization and because of the team camaraderie and, and these things that, you know, and, and I felt like this is why I played. This is what was important to me, especially with my Cal team in the eighties. Like, you know, we're, we're all constantly planning girls weekends still. Like that's what we were just, we just planned one for February, you know, like it's all about the culture. So that piece to me was so vital. And I loved 
making it really important to everybody. So as, as I was coaching, obviously uh, all my teams, but really got into it in Cal was this team building and, and understanding how each other wants to be spoken to on the field and understanding like, you know, like you said, meeting players where they are, like you have different goals and different mindsets and all these things that you need to address individually, but there has to be a collective, a, a collective understanding of it for all of us, you know? And I loved that piece of it. And, and as I coached with you guys, I really felt like I started refining what I thought about that as an educator, obviously, and as a coach. Um, and then there was that day, right. That, that weekend that I, I retired from Cal, you know, college coaching and I started coaching U six boys. And what I realized right there, it wasn't as much about the gender. It was about the joy. I mean, I coached U six boys. I went from, you know, 18 to 22 year old, intensely competitive, stressful playing time, all these things to coaching U six boys. And we're on this grass field in the middle of nowhere where you have to build goals and there's a forest. And I would, you know, if I would stop them, they would take off and run into the forest, you know, like, and then they'd come back and I'd say, okay, bathroom break. And they'd turn around and just piss on the grass. Like they wouldn't (laughs) go to the bathroom. They would just piss. And I'm like, oh my God, what's happening? You know, there was, I didn't have to, I had to herd them, but there was no team building. They poked each Mm -hmm. other like you guys did. They chased each other. They teased each other. It was inherent in it. And then I started realizing like, oh shit, we take this out of the game. We've taken that out of the game. Like that piece needs to be injected back in almost in a fake way, you know, or allowed. We need to allow that to happen. So I don't know. I feel like sometimes it's less about boys and girls and more about culture. Right. Absolutely. I always go back to culture. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here, obviously, with everything you're doing with female footballers, but it's culture, culture, culture. No, and I couldn't agree more. I know with my, you know, Kelly, my husband played MLS um, for eight years. And when I asked him, you know, what was your favorite year you played? He chooses the Houston Dynamo in 2006. And one could say it's because they won MLS Cup, but he would say it has all to do with the locker room. So even yeah. on the male side, it's the culture. Every one of those players they were more about the team than they were themselves. And they had some big names. They had Brian Ching and Dwayne DeRosario and some at the time, really big names for MLS, but all of them cared more about the team than they cared about themselves. And I think what you're saying about it's less about the gender and it's more about the culture is what is to me is what we're trying to do at female footballers. It doesn't necessarily always have to do with gender on that side of it, but it is what's missing to me in youth and collegiately. And I think the teams that are more successful, I think the Olympics is a perfect example of like the culture was off. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that it was just terrible and sad. I mean, I have to go back to Kelly, like they won because of the culture. Exactly. exactly. Right. So the culture, mm-hmm. it's good in and of itself, but it's also a necessary and sometimes missing piece with programs to win. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's good either way, right? Like, so that, that's, I couldn't agree with that more. My, uh, my U19 boys, uh, they were like puppy dogs. Like we played tail tag all the time with them. That's we awesome. did, uh, you know, all sorts of, we played dodgeball. We did, you know, blindfolded them. U19 boys, I, I would have other coaches come over and look at me who's small compared to these monster boys, men, and come over and say, how did you get them? My one coach, Niall, who coaches, we coach together a, a lot. We collaborate a lot. She came over and said, how did you get them to be so honest with themselves and each other about their game? 
That was the piece he noted. And I was like, that's the key, right? So they Absolutely. feel it, they're in a safe space to take a risk, which may be like, take a risk on a field and try something you haven't to get better or take a risk and be open and vulnerable about your game. Like I need help with this piece of my game and he's better at that. And I want to learn from him, you know, and that I feel like on the guy side is way harder on the women's side that comes easier, but the guys, you need to be able to make that space for them to do that. And, and then they will get better as individuals and as a group. Absolutely. And I think it's like that right now, the culture in soccer is all about instant gratification and seeing and seeing some of that like quickly and a culture piece isn't something that you can do fast. It takes time and it takes, like you said, it takes a buy-in from players. And if we don't give them the space and time to buy in, then you're not going to see it. You totally. Know? And I know I'm, I'm borrowing from Colleen Hacker, one of the greats. Uh, oh, I love her. She's awesome. And I've listened to and gone to many different sessions she's provided, but she said in one session, which made stuck with me was like, you know, there's four components of soccer. There's the technical, the tactical, the physical, and the psychological. She's like, so at training camp, what, you know, for college training camp, you have triple days and you bring out a sports psych person, or you do an icebreaker or team builder at one session for those two weeks. And you have three a day. So there's 21 sessions, right. Or whatever there are 40, 43 sessions and you do one would you just focus on the tactical game for one session and bring in a random to do you know one session on that where you the random can't even get involved with the team she's like so you you check it off the box like oh I did the team psychology I did the team building I built the culture that's done let's move on to tech tack and physical now mm -hmm. right and so I just feel like your program is so great because you can inject that into clubs or teams or individuals that need it. And not all coaches have the education to be able to do that. Like they just don't, you know, like it doesn't come naturally or they have never learned it or it was never involved in their upbringing, upbringing as a soccer player. So I feel like it just needs to happen throughout the season, throughout the year, all the time. Otherwise, you, it's not something you can just check off. It's just like, what, would you just do fitness once and then mm -hmm. check that? Okay, we did that. We're done. We don't need any more fitness, you know? No, I love that you're saying this because I we get a lot of teams that come in. Oftentimes, it's moms of a girl on a team will bring it to a coach and say, hey, you should check out female footballers. The coach will say, nah, but my team doesn't need that. The mom pushes, gets us to go out there. We maybe get one or two sessions. And then they, they don't continue with it, but then I'll get individuals coming saying, my daughter really needs this. She really liked that. But it, like I said, it has to be buy-in. And I think it starts, it, like it can't really start from the parent or the one player. It has to start from the top, the DOCs, the technical directors, they need to, they need to value it. And then, you know, I think the consistency of it, you know, we worked with um, Amy Griffin at the OL Rain Academy for a little while. And awesome. she, she was the first to admit like, we know we need this and we know that we're not consistent on it all the time. And so she was working on that with their, their organization to just be more consistent with implementing it. And it's like awesome to talk to a female who gets that and wants to be implemented and is aware of that. But I feel like we come up against a lot of coaches, regardless of gender, that just, they haven't fully bought in and see that it's not a one-time fix, you know? Yeah, it, it's not. I did, uh, speaking of that, 
for the Mavericks, which is the club I've been coaching out of, uh, you know, from the U6 to the U19s, and now I'm their college counselor, you know, they asked me to come in and do a culture session for coaches, like how to add in, just like what you guys do. And it was great. I got to do it on the field. So I ran kind of a, a faux session, you know, just a, a possession session or whatever, something simple, because at each break or before each session or after each session, I put in some kind of team building or crazy way to break up a group or just examples of stuff. And at the end, I played cross the line with the coaches, which is this really fun game. And I made it coach appropriate. So we got to learn about each other, which is really hilarious. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a great session. And these they're like, oh, like you don't have to go in and do this huge psychological thing every time you can, before you do a drill, you can just say, hey, you need to break up in a, you know, not with your friend or not with somebody on your last team or not with somebody with the same shoe size or whatever. Like you can do little things all along to add to the culture of your session, which you know about, but you can't just do it one time and then leave it. It doesn't work like that. It's just like all the other components of soccer. Would you say a lot of the things like that that you put into your sessions came from being an educator? Because I know for me, that's where I feel like I pull a lot and I'm able to switch things around from teaching. It's funny you say that because I, I thought I wanted to get my PhD in education. Uh, who knows, maybe someday it'll still happen, but I wanted to call it um, coaching in the classroom and teaching on the on the field or something oh, like I love that. that. Yeah. yeah. So yes, it all comes from that. Like the school of education and all your classroom stuff that you're doing. I'm sure you have even better things because I was a high school teacher and it's a little more less time with the, the kids. But yeah, it all came out of that. And it's all the same stuff. It's not like, you know, rocket science. It's all team building. It's all making your classroom safe and, and fun and lively. And honestly, like as I told the coaches, it's really more about setting up your team culture so you enjoy it too. You know, like you're going to be with these players, especially in the older age groups, you know, when you're traveling to tournaments, you know, or traveling really far away to play individual games to Clovis or Manteca or Ripon and all these places, you're with them so much. You want it to be a fun culture and you want them to enjoy each other because it's a lot of their time, totally. you know, so it's almost selfish, like set it up so that it's not outside of your personality as a coach, but it's more like something that complements you or something that you enjoy. Absolutely. And, you know, it made me think about like, I think in teaching and education, you know, you get into that profession because you want to make a difference. And I think there's definitely that for sure with many coaches want to do that. They want to give back to the game. But I also think there's a, you know, since you started coaching and when I was a player, like the world has changed when it comes to youth soccer, it's a billion dollar industry now. And I think that a lot of coaches look at it as, hey, I can coach three teams and make, you know, fine living. So why don't I just do that? And they don't kind of look at it as taking it all on, like the, what you're talking about. So how do you, like for me, that really frustrates me. And I get like angry about the fact that yeah. it's the same. I see it in teaching too, where there's some teachers that kind of got into the profession because it was like, oh, we get our summers off or whatever. That's not why you get into teaching. You know, it's like, sure, that's a perk. And there's some perks about coaching, but it's like, you don't get into this because it's like a, you can leave it there. It, you, you, it's an all encompassing job, just like teaching is where you take those, these children's lives in your hands and, and you worry about them when they're not there. And, and so, um, you know, how do you not get angry when you see kind of what is slowly, I mean, not this, not just not to be negative, that soccer is like, like that all the time, but it's definitely gone more in that direction. So how do you feel about that? I, 
that that was like just like you just lobbed me this huge ball and it's flying <laughs> now there's 10 balls flying onto my side know, of, of the court it has changed so much you're right billion dollar industry you know uh you know there's just so I, the internet cell phones uh like there's so many pieces to this i can't even tell you like what it was like playing in the 80s without the internet without cell phones without coaches who were getting paid well, without coaches who even played the game, you know? Mm -hmm. I had a dad coach in college, Bill Merrill, bless his heart, who did not play the game, but he was a fantastic coach. Like, and now to what we're doing with, like what you're saying, three coaches, you know, taking 10 teams, taking this and, and, and taking all, again, it goes back, the joy out of the game. The joy has gone out of coaching. The joy has gone out of, you know, playing for a lot of players because they've lost sight of why they're playing. We got, we got players recruits in your era and it started around then where that would, we'd recruit them to Cal and then right before they'd commit, they'd commit and then they'd quit Mm -hmm. because the goal was getting the, the scholarship at Cal or getting the offer at Cal. It, the goal wasn't, playing the best and being your best, it was getting to that point and everything their parents had done for them underneath that. And, you know, like that was the goal and they had met their goal. And then all of a sudden they're there and they're exhausted and they're, they don't know why they're still playing. And we had a couple players do that. And it it really screwed up our recruiting process on a couple instances, but, you know, I looked at it and it was like, wow, they've lost sight of their love for the game, like why they got into it initially, because it became such a money-making industry and so much about, you know, striving for that scholarship rather than the joy of their team and the joy of the game and, you know, the competition and whatever it was that had turned them on to the sport initially. So, and that was in 2000, I played 2000, 2004, and you know, you were there at least four or five more years after I left, but how now as this, as an athlete counselor, like for student athletes, does it, does it feel worse or better? Or how does that look now? It's, it's, it's worse because there's more money. There's more pressure. Like now there's Instagram, there's top drawer posting the rankings. There's all these different ways to judge yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Against other people. There's rosters online. We didn't even have that back in the day. You can see where these other kids are playing and where they're coming from and where they're ranked and what tournaments are going to. And are they in ECNL or are they in GA or are they in MPL? Like, where are they in all of that, the accolades. And then, oh, are they doing all this extra training with these extra people and private trainings and private liftings and private this, you know, like you, there's so many ways to judge yourself now that weren't even there when you were there. I mean, honestly, like what cell phones you had one when like two. No, I, yeah. But they were like the, uh, the pay, <laughs> like the flip phone. Yeah. No iPhones didn't come up to 2006. So I wasn't, yeah, I didn't have an iPhone in college. Yeah. You weren't like the, the pressure of judging yourself against other people was more in what you knew in your local area. And now it's on a national and international level in the men's game, 38% of men that play college soccer are international players now, 12% on the women's side. Like, so it's not even gone, you know, for you, it was like this kind of regional, you knew where you were type thing. And now it's like an international comparison of you as a human being and a soccer player. And I think that's added to the issues with mental health, with stress, with anxiety, all of that, like this whole thing, we didn't have the internet. 
we didn't have anything, mm -hmm. you know, so we were just playing. It was just, that was the way it was. So I feel like now it's, it's harder, but on the college side, it's a little easier if you're open to playing, just playing like mm -hmm. now there's D3 programs, there's NAIA programs, there's D2 programs, there's D1 programs. There's all these options. There's a huge college club soccer opportunity now to play. If you want to go to a school, but you can't, you're not good enough to play on their team, play for the club team. You can continue playing now in a variety of ways. There's a bunch of leagues and all of that. So if you love the game, you can find a way to play. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and you had said um, that was going to be my next question was just like the need to support players mentally and, and what you think about that. Cause like, I'll give you an example this summer with the Olympics, we're watching Simone Biles oh. and Kelly and I are also, we're from the, you know, early two thousands era of playing. He, he finished his career in 2009, I think. And, uh, and we had kind of differing opinions about yes, um, mental health. Not that we don't value that they need support. I think we both agreed. Absolutely. She needs as much support as possible, but just, you know, just kind of differences in how we feel. And I notice when I work with different coaches of different generations, their view on, on mental health and how that plays a role, um, you know, it, it's differ, it differs depending on that. And you just hit, to me, you hit the nail on the head when you said um, basically that they, you know, like the world has changed so much that we have to put more things in, in place to support them. I mean, you obviously didn't say that exactly, but I'm putting words in your mouth, but, but I mean, I, tell me more about that. I mean, do you feel that way? Cause I would say some people really buy into that and some really are like, no soccer is soccer and, and we shouldn't have to do all this extra stuff. Okay. So first I totally get talking with the old dinosaurs like myself, depression, dinosaur. anxiety, <laughs> uh, bulimia, anorexia, they weren't really even words back in the eighties. We knew people had things going on. We knew there were things, right? But there wasn't the language to talk in detail about these disorders or these problems or these issues that players were having. What, we, what did we do? We didn't, we didn't even have trainers. Where there were two trainers in the women's athletic department in the eighties that handled all of our teams, right? So the senior, who Cindy Grauf, who I, God love her. I wish I knew where she was today. She would tape our ankles and, and tell us we were okay. Maybe, you know, like it's, I, I always tie it to concussions. We, we didn't have concussion protocols. We headed punts. Les and I stood back there and had nobody played out of the back back in the day. It was punts, 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 kicks, kicks. We were constantly heading those in the back. And I'd be like, Oh, Hey, I, I think I'm dinged. Can you take the next one? And she's like, I got you, just stand behind me. And I'm like, okay. And then I was like, yeah, I'm still not feeling it. Could you go take that corner kick, you know, to head the oh corner kick? She's like, yeah, I'll do that. And then I would sit back there and wait for her to come back. Like, that's what it was. We got dinged. We got our bell rung. We, you know, we didn't know about that. And I need to publicly apologize to you and your group, especially Aaliyah, for, for doing those punting practices we just didn't know and well my I, era was when it start we there was starting to be talk of how serious concussions were but even when I was in high school it wasn't like a big thing no and you know we didn't have like concussion protocols or things like that and now they're everywhere but it's the same thing for mental health we didn't have the language and we didn't have the resources to fix it and we didn't really know how and we didn't have an internet and so now that we have all of this stuff it's a double-edged sword for me right because 
people are quick to go to, I have anxiety, I have depression, I have this, where back in the day, you might have had that, but you went to your teammates. And again, you went, it goes back to the culture. You, you talk to your teammates like, hey, this is how I'm feeling. I'm kind of feeling dinged. I'm kind of feeling weird or I'm sad. Some girls were, you know, sad being away from home and, you know, and you would talk to your team about it and you, and so, and our coach, he, he was available all the time to talk to us about stuff like that. And we would just work through it and soldier on. So I, I'm, I think we still need to rely on that as a method to solve some of these problems. And I'm glad you brought up the Olympics because watching Simone go through what she went through and watching her team step up for her and support her, not only out there in the gym, but everywhere else was incredible to me. And watching uh, Osaka go through it now without a team is something totally different. And I see that as night and day, right? She's got a lot of resources around her and a lot of sport, most of which are paid for because of the sport she's in and it's an individual sport. And even Simone isn't a soccer player. She's not in a full team sport, but she had her teammates, right? And they sorted it out. So I, I felt like, you know, I just, I, it always goes back to culture. And so, yes, we need to solve these problems for these players, but also we need to help them solve it for themselves too. Oh, like, I love that, yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's the, a big part that's missing too. Um, just, you know, helping them solve it for themselves. Because we had less resources, we were more resourceful. How about yes. that? Yes. Uh, no, I totally agree. You know, like we figured out ways to do it and you don't want to lose sight of that, that like that grit, that ability to be able to dig in and, and, and find the help that you need to ask for it and to talk to people about it, you know? And but I think I'm, that's where the other way and say they don't need it because we totally need it. Like the stresses and the internet and the social media and all of that crap is just making it so much harder on the, especially young women, I think. Absolutely. And, and I think you just hit it for me too, where it's, um, I think parents of players often want the quick fix. So they go to like the sports psychologist type thing and not to say that that's not necessary, but sometimes it can be, and that's what we try to do is bring self-awareness to players. We're not tending to be psych sports psychologists. We're sitting here saying like, let's start to like, you know, self-analyze a little bit about where we're at so that we can, and then help give them some of those tools just to get started. And I think that that would help a little bit more with the, um, them being more resourceful just because they're aware of what they need. I mean, you were that person for me. I had never had anyone ask me how I liked to be talked to. And I had never thought about how I liked to be talked to, but I always had screaming, yelling male coaches until you. And then, you know, Kevin was, he had his moments of yelling for sure, but he knew I was a little bit more sensitive, but you were the person that came and said, it's okay if you need things like sugarcoated. That's what I'm here for. And he might be super stern and then you would come over and kind of say it in a different way. And then I could be like, oh, okay. And I still felt supported and, and it was game changing. But I was 19 by the time I figured out how I needed to be talked to. I never even thought about it. There was no self-awareness whatsoever. Well, and oh, it's, and it's funny because you have so many different players, genders, whatever, and how they want to be talked to. There, it's, it's, it's not even a spectrum. It's a web right? Of how people need to be talked to on the field. And then you have to like, remember that in a counterattack situation, when your goalkeeper and center backs are having people coming down their throat, they are going to bark orders at you. And that's, mm -hmm. it's the phrase, it's a bark, it's a yell because they are 
running 40 yards backwards, sprinting, looking, trying to yell at people. And so it's like, then it goes back to culture again. Mm -hmm. If that player and you and she have a good relationship, the fact that she barked five words to you in a game to try to get you to recover, make a recovery run is not going to bother you. You're going to be like, yes, I needed that little umph. But because she talks to you off the field in the way you want to be spoken to, you know, maybe it's a conversation or maybe it's an Oreo cookie talk, you know, a good, a, a critical thing and another good thing, you know, whatever it is, like, because she does that with you off the field and you trust her and you feel good and safe, you're going to take the barking order in that crazy situation that you don't want them to score on you. Absolutely. Right? And, and that's what, I mean, when I think about, I'm thinking of Ashley Von Swiller, right? When you're saying this, because totally. we can be more different in the way that we like to be talked to, but it worked every time. And we could have those talks off the field. And I think that that is to me a huge piece that's missing. And again, going back to like, they're being compared to, you know, when we had starters versus non-starters on Thursday oh. practices before a Friday game, there are seven-year-old girls who are basically going through those moments of starters versus non-starters with the A, B, C, six teams in an age group type of thing. And so they definitely, their, their culture to me has to be a part of coaching. As a coach, when you go to like coaching clinics and things like that, do you feel like, like what percent do you feel like coaches buy into that? Or do you ever see pushback from coaches that are like, oh, that's not necessary? Or is it kind of overwhelming? Everybody agrees. You know, generally it's along age groups, right? Mm -hmm. And gender, but it's mostly all guys at those sessions anyways. There's a couple of us out there, but uh, it's not as much pushback anymore. It's more like they're going to do something on this. So let's just do it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so it isn't fully accepted, which let I me mean, leads to my next and, and last couple of questions, which is more about being a female coach in a male dominated profession. Like I know you have a lot of opinions on this, so I want to hear them all. <laughs> that might take a couple hours, but no, but like, seriously, like, <laughs> yeah, no, I would love to hear, you know, do you feel like we've come farther? Do you, how much farther do you feel like we need to come? How important is that issue? All of that. It's so funny. Like that moment I was walking into Memorial stadium and and I saw the Cal women's soccer team lifting with the football team and the football team, just not even noticing they were there. It was like totally normal. You know, when we weren't even looked at as athletes in the eighties, like, you know, our, you know, our boyfriend and our mom and grandma came to the game, you know, that was it, you know, and we played on that terrible field and, you know, it, to, to have that moment in time, I was so jazzed. I was like, you know, and I was still young and idealistic, I suppose, at that time heading into coaching you guys. But I was like, oh my God, we have come so far. We have come so far. Like, this is amazing. Like, we're going to just take off from here. And then I go to my coaching license, right? And so I go through the C, B, and A coaching license. And in my A license, there's two women and 50 guys. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is in 2000, whatever, right? During your era. And I was like, and the guys were great. I mean, they were totally fantastic. The coaches were fantastic to me, but that's still the numbers. You know, mm -hmm. I was being treated well. That's still the numbers, right? And I'm like, geez, you know, so now your group, they're out there, they're coaching. And then Tracy Ham goes and gets her UEFA license in Wales. And there's one woman there. And I'm like, ah, what is <laughs> it's so for me it's not linear right it's like there's bumps in the road and as long as we're moving upward it's great but 
things have to happen in the coaching world. I mean, obviously pay equity, things like that, but also, you know, maternity leave and childcare opportunities and things that we're coming up against or your generation specifically right now is coming up against that need to change. We, you know, the women, why are they always put with the younger teams and clubs? Well, is it because they don't have the education and experience or is it because they have young kids and they can't travel to San Diego for a tournament, right? Why is that? So because they're there, they're not in the older age groups, which is getting the free licensing for the club. So they're not getting the experience to, you know, so like, is it chicken or egg? But whatever it is, we need to make some changes. Like, I love the fact that uh, Jill Ellis has started a program to get NWSL players licensed. I love it that Tracy Han forces her whole team to get a license in the spring. It's part of their curriculum. You know, that type of thing is going to help us. Women need to help other women through this. Fortunately, we are really good at that. And sadly, there's not enough of us in it to keep mm -hmm. doing it. So, totally. but yeah, you could get me going for three days on this topic for sure. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, and I think that's where, you know, with us, we, we, a big part of female footballers is the mental skills training aspect, but the other part is representation and, and trying to show women that, you know, like just being involved and in giving back to the game is a start. And it might not be, I mean, for me, it's, a, a, you know, I started this in 2014 and I take in every other year kind of off because I'm raising three of my own kids and I too can't commit to coaching with three kids playing and all that stuff, but I'm still trying to make an impact. And I think more there, like you said, some things need to change where there's more opportunities for women to be involved. And it might not be at those same levels you're talking about just to get them in and then they can grow with it. But I know a couple of women in the Bay area down here in, in San Jose area that they've had a lot of, um, kind of the, you know, and I'm sure you have so many of these stories too, but just dealing with some of the shit that, that we get as women coaches. And I mean, I, you're, you're the story you told in coach the movie. If you guys haven't seen coach the movie, you need to go watch it. It's about Tracy Ham getting her UEFA license. JT's in the movie. She's interviewed and has a great story. <laughs> FYI, note to self, there's body language. <laughs> But, you know, I think that's a great example. If you want to say it without saying it, I don't, I mean, I don't care if you say it. I don't think we have that many young players. Okay. Well, it was, I mean, it was just the worst thing I got called, but like I got called mom by a player who was the coach's son on one team, screamed at me in the middle of the game and said, the ref's not talking to you, mom. And I'm like, oh my Ooh. God, your kid just called me mom. Like, what the hell? You know, like things like that. Uh, and against, yes, uh, 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 down, uh, down at Santa Clara Sporting, I got called pussy, like there's a pussy on the field. Not like you're a pussy, which is a little different for me. They're both terrible, but I got called like a vagina, like seriously. And the kid was sitting like four feet behind me as I was trying to help break up a fight with the other coach. Two of our players, two of our very hot-headed players were fighting. And so the coach and I stepped on the field to try to pull them apart. And yeah, and I got called a pussy. There's a pussy on the field. It was, it was unreal to be in that scenario where you're trying to like hold a 19-year-old boy off another 19-year-old boy and getting called a pussy from behind you right in front of the AR. Like who's, I just turned and he was like, Ooh, yeah, I heard that. We'll deal with that after we deal with this. And I was like, yeah. And afterwards the, it was really the interesting thing was once I got, when I was coaching in the younger age groups of boys, it was hard. I wasn't, I was completely disrespected. 
you know me, I'm, I'm pretty confident. I didn't really care. And I was like, I'm better than you. Shut up. I don't even care. Like what you, you don't have any licensing, you know, it was that type of thing. And then I got to like U17 and, and all of a sudden they started to know me a little bit more and, you know, and, and it got a little bit better there. So this coach for sporting, who was fantastic said, JT, what do you want to do about this? Let's talk about it. How do you want to handle it? Do you want to talk to my team? What do you want to do? Da, 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 da. And, and I was like, yeah, I think I would like to talk to your team because that's going to be kind of see something, say something for me, you know, like, I know mm -hmm. that's the lingo thing right now, but that's how I've always been before it was, we had the language for it. <laughs> I mm -hmm. would always say something right away. Cause it just made me feel better, you know? Yeah. And so I spoke to this team of boys and I just said, you know, just so you know, I'm going to toot my own horn. Um, I am the most decorated coach out here at this tournament right now. I know all the other coaches. None of them have their A license. Okay. None of them have coached Alex Morgan or a national team player. None of them have, you know, coached in college. Like you have to understand, you know, just because I have a ponytail doesn't, you know, and then I went through the whole thing with them and, and I just told him how disrespectful it was and how, you know, if a coach ever called me on this team or these players that I wouldn't, I wouldn't rate you to go to college because you're the type of player that's going to get a coach fired. And that's exactly what college coaches, that is a huge thing they're looking at now, especially with social media, with the internet, with everything. That's what they're looking at. So that's where I rate your team. And, and I'm disappointed, you know, and my poor team, including my poor son who had to like sit and watch me do this while, you know, while they were warming down was just like looking, shaking their head, like those poor boys we <laughs> talks all the time. <laughs> but I love that you did that. And I love that. I mean, we haven't even talked about, I don't think any, you know, not everybody on this knows that you recruited and coached Alex Morgan. Like you're, you, you're so quiet about some of the accolades. Um, but exactly. Oh, tell you cassie do you know how she wants to be talked to because i i went into depth with this on her i'm assuming she likes to be yelled at <laughs> she wants it straight i was out coaching i learned this right away her freshman year when she asked me to do a shooting drill after practice with her and with the whole ball bag and we set up the shooting drill and you know and we had a goalkeeper and she was shooting 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 and we did 10 balls and i think she you know she put five of them where she wanted to and she came back and i was like okay that's not bad. We could do it. She's like, that's terrible. She, we're doing it until I get eight for 10. And I was like, okay. So that's how she wants. Me to oh my God. That's so funny. I love, but I love that. Like you have so many stories of so many decorated players and you didn't even tell who you played with too at Cal. I mean, some of the names of the female coaches, like all of you in your generation have gone on to give back to the game in a huge way. I mean, well, your best friends are amazing women. I just saw Brandy, who was a freshman at Cal when we played down at um, Brandy Chastain, everybody. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Brandy <laughs> Chastain at the Santa Clara game versus Cal. It's great to reconnect with her. Leslie Gallimore, a name bigger than life, you know, 26 years at UW, many other programs, and now the head of the GA, the commission. <laughs> um, you know, Mary Harvey, who, you know, World Cup champ and, and gold medalist, and, you know, Joy B. Field Fawcett. And, so many others like it it was obviously it i'm gonna go back to it it was the best four years of my life like i i made all my friends and i found my place in the world i you know i in high school i was kind of like a lost I, I i had a good time but i didn't meet my people till college you know and yeah. and it, it was really an incredible it changed my life you know just completely 
Absolutely. I feel the same. And I think that um, I wish more girls and boys, because like we said, this this idea of uh, coaching boys or girls, everything that we talk about with mental skills and culture is is universal in, in both of our opinions, I think. But I think I wish more players saw college as less, like you said, about a goal to obtain and more of an experience that will propel you in many different directions in your life. And I love that you're doing that now. So tell some of us, well, what are you doing now? You're not coaching at Mavericks, you're helping the club, but what else do you do? Um, in case people wanna like hit you up, cause I know I talk to as a parent down here, so many elite athletes and parents who are so confused and lost on what to do if they do want their kid, their, you know, their kids to play in college. My parents were those parents where my sister didn't have the experience that I think she would have hoped for because she had to deal with a lot of crap. And then I had this awesome experience. I, there's a lot of parents who are afraid, you know, she picked the coach instead of the, the school kind of a thing. So yeah. How can we find you and what do you do now and all that? So I I'm college counseling, you know, basically, uh, and I'm just focusing on student athletes, all different sports, genders, all of that. Um, my biggest advice to families right now is First off, your kid has to love the game. You need to read your kid. Like committing to play college at many different levels, most of the levels, it's it's a full-time job now. I, I mean, when I played in the 80s, it was kind of like club. When you played in the 2000s, it was intense, but it's not like it is today. Mm -hmm. And you need to love it intrinsically. You need to have a love for the game, the sports, the camaraderie, everything in that. So parents, you need to really revisit that with your kid all the time and make sure they're playing for the right reasons. And then if you do know that you really need to start the process early. Like I, I not only do this with tons of kids I don't know and families I do and my former players, I did it with my own son and it's, it's a process, you know, and it's not easy and it's really stressful for parents. Cause when your kids have goals, you want to help them achieve them and, and it may not happen. So parents start early check in with your kid and be really open to the many different places your kid could play, right? And all their priorities, not just which program they want to play soccer for, but academically where they're going to feel most comfortable. Can they take a risk and they want to travel or do they want to stay close to home? Finance is a factor. So cost, you know, social vibe of the campus, size of campus, you know, all of these factors go into play. There's a broken leg test. If you have sadly a career ending injury in college, are you in the right place? You know, mm -hmm. and now with the new transfer portal, it's just made everything harder, right? And COVID has made everything harder. So keep checking in with their, your kid. If, you're, if your child doesn't want to put as much time into this recruiting process as they do into their game, they may not want to pursue this process because it is hard and it's changed. It's not like it was when I played and just wrote that little handwritten note to the athletic director saying, I want to play a sport in college. Mm -hmm. It's totally changed. So um, start early. What Work is early? early? Like, like my son is a sixth grader. Is that early? No, it's no. Yeah. Too early. Sixth grade. They should be playing. They should be having fun. And when I say play, like go out and play on the playground, play three V three. We have the cages in Berkeley, like this great little outdoor court that you can go and just play pickup on, play all different types of soccer, play on the beach, play in your backyard, play, 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 play. And then when you are a little bit older and a little bit more developed around your freshman year in high school, you should start thinking about this. 
and know that it is going to change. Four years at that point in a child's development is huge. And there's a lot of change that happens. So you have to be open. Um, I think we wrote, it was actually Wyatt's sophomore year that we started. And it, you know, we checked in, there were over 300 emails sent in the whole process to different wow. coaches. It was about 300 emails, about 50 texts. We went, I went back, or Rich did, and looked at all of it because I knew this would be helpful for other families. 50 texts, 10 phone calls, two official visits, two offers, one decision. And that was wow. sophomore year to February, junior year when he decided. Wow. And I can't crazy. tell you how many ID camps and ODP camps and regional camps that was. That was that was going to be my other question was, you know, I'm pretty ignorant to this early 2000s. It was, you didn't have to be on the best club team because ODP process was so helpful. But nowadays, like you said, ODP isn't like the main form of stuff. I feel like parents have this idea that you have to be on the national championship club team and all of that. But what are, I mean, do you, do you feel like it's still valued to have many, there's many different pathways or do you really yeah. feel like there is? I think the key isn't about like, where you're playing. One is, are you playing for a coach that is developing you in the right way? Do, are they building culture? Are they making you confident? All the things we've already talked about is, does this coach fit your needs as a player and a family, right? So that's one. Two, it's not as much about the league, GEA, ENCL, MPL, blah, 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 PDP, ODP, whatever. It's about exposure. So is your team, when you hit the you know freshman year, is your team getting to the tournaments, the showcases? Are you getting to the individual ID camps of schools that are going to get you exposure to college coaches? That's the key, right? So it's not about who, which club and which this, but it's about exposure. So um, we did this all out of Mavericks, which was a, we're a smaller club. You know, we had 23 teams. It was very small. And we, we did this whole process out of Mavericks because no one in our area, and I had five guys go off to play division one and two division two, 10 division three over two years and about 10 college club players also. And these boys were bright and a lot of them really strong students and they could not travel to go play for the former DA teams, which were in San Jose, Santa Cruz and Sacramento for us. And nobody could make that Bay Area commuter traffic drive and still do well in their classes in high school. So we just tried to do it from our club and, and we had success, but it was a lot more work. Okay. So you need a committed group of families and parents and directors to make, to help make your team happen if you're coming out of a smaller club, but it can happen. It still can. Awesome. Well, it's good to hear too, because I think a lot of people, at least in our area down here in the South Bay, it's like these larger clubs are eating up all the smaller clubs. And it makes me sad. It's like the target versus the mom and pop shop. But at the same time, I understand why, because there's that notion that they think they have to. And I, I'm glad to hear that you really don't, but it is, it is work for sure. Yeah. It's a lot more. Well, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Like I, for those of you who are listening, like this is like my idol person. So I was stoked <laughs> to be able to get to do this. And, um, and just get to have this recording for myself. But um, I'm glad everyone else got to listen to it too. And I so appreciate your time and I'm excited. You're on, I know you're on Instagram. What's the name of your company and website in case uh, parents are interested? I'm JT College Counseling. I just work hourly. So if you have a quick question to ask me about this team or that, or this ID camp or that, that's how I work. So 
Um, I'm just here to consult, literally. That's awesome. That's so helpful for parents too. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for your time. And, um, and I can't thank you enough. Okay. Thank you. And go female footballers. Oh, thank you. Bye.